this is where it gets wild. Let's say yeah. making $120,000 a year, right? I could go to somebody and say, hey, I'll sell it to you for $350,000. Here's a lender that will give you $450,000 or $480,000 for the business. So you can buy this. I'm showing you right now, you can buy it and you're going to make money right off the bat. You're going to be able to service the loan that they're going to provide you and you'll get the loan to be able to close on it. All right. So today we have Josh Colnitties with us. He is an investor, a business owner, and a super dope guy that I got connected with through some friends in Colorado Springs. He operates a couple of different businesses in Colorado Springs. But one of the coolest things about him is he oftentimes jumps out of planes. So not only is he a badass business owner, but he also is a badass in his personal life. He's crazy fit and owns a franchise of gyms. And yeah, we're super excited to have you on with us today, Josh. How are you doing? Good, good. Yeah, thanks for. I guess that didn't that didn't come up in the discovery when we talked the first time, did it, Ben? <laughs> no, it did not. I did not get that out there. Yeah, I'll have to touch on that part <laughs> because I I don't ever see that as. You're right. It does sound badass, and it, it's funny because our pilot one time said he's sometimes we just need to take a minute to sit back and think of how cool what we do is to the rest of the world. Like we lose track of it. it's just like right? it's a hobby. But yeah, you're right. It is like a cool thing that a lot of people think is sweet. Yeah, I've jumped out of a plane once, so I've, nice, yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> I've never done it. I just see your videos on Instagram, and I'm like, I got, I have to do this. I have to do this yeah. like, yeah. as soon as possible. Like once, once I like get my life together, like I'm going down to Colorado Springs and I'm jumping out of a plane with Josh. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even have to have your life together. Sometimes that's what gets your life put together for some people. Yeah. Okay. One, one girl I came down and she, it was a tandem passenger. She came down and she was crying. And at first glance, I thought she was hurt, but she was like standing there with her friends and stuff. So I thought it was like a traumatic experience or whatever. And she was having a life changing moment in front of us to where she's, I'm done doing the drugs. Like this girl was like changing everything about her life. She was like getting off of drugs and everything with this experience that she had. So it's like, wow. it's one of those things that I think I heard somebody say it's a forced meditation, right? So it like, when you're falling through the sky and you're you're in free fall, you can't think about like the car payment that you have to pay or your rent that's coming up or the construction project that's delayed. You can't think about these little kind of ancillary things that don't really matter. You're like so hyper focused on what is happening at that moment because you can't think about anything else, right? So, yeah. If you think about like when gurus or whatever talk about like meditation and they're getting into that focus of what the benefits are of meditation, really what it is being able to focus on one thing, like one sole thought, not have your brain scattered all over the place. It's like honing everything in. And I think the cool thing about skydiving is it's a for it's a form of forced meditation. You have to focus on one thing hyper. And it's cool because it, it really puts in perspective like what's important, right? You dump all the ancillary stuff and you just think about what really matters. Dude, I need that more in my life. I was, I woke up this morning after getting four hours of sleep, sitting in my bed and my thoughts were like all over the place. Like yeah. I'm trying to buy my first house. And so I've been looking at all these different properties. I'm like, what if it cash flows and how am I going to operate the Airbnb? And what if I do it as like a Netflix and chill theme Airbnb? And what if I, and then, oh crap, I have to figure out this podcast. And, and then my head just is like that where yeah. I came out, I'm like totally squirrel brain. And yeah. I'm like, I see the little acorn over there and I run after it. And then, oh, there's a dandelion over there. I got to go eat that thing over there. And I need that in my life to just focus. Yes, it's good. I'm just for a random thought. And then you lay awake for three hours, just 
popping from thought to thought, and I'm just like, okay, cool. I got to sleep now. <laughs> yeah. It's a really cool thing. And classes are every Friday, Alex, if you want. They start, you come down Friday, and then you can jump on Saturday on your own. Yeah. On your own? Not tandem. You would jump with instructors like holding on to you, but you're wearing your own rig. There's nobody attached to you. They can let go and you could just be gone if you wanted to. But yeah, you jump with instructors and then the whole course on Friday is really designed around like how to get on the ground safely, how to land your parachute, how to understand if there's a malfunction, how to go through the emergency procedures and make sure you can get through it and activate your reserve if there is an issue and stuff like that. So they teach you like the basics of survival in that course. They call it ground school. And then your first jump would be on Saturday the next day. And you just, from there, it's experience, right? The more you jump, the better you get. So you just jump out of the plane, you do some stuff wrong. They tell you what to fix. You try it the next time you get a little bit better and it just keeps growing. Yeah. I jumped when I was 18 once and I was like, I should probably, I think I want to get like my license and everything and be able to do it by myself and everything like that. And then I just dropped off on it. <laughs> Tom, pick it back up, baby. It's, I it's, know. <laughs> it's marketing and advertising thing too. And this, that's something that like I started looking into is the way parachute gear works. You'll jump it, but it lasts a very long time, right? So you'll jump until you, they call it downsize or whatever, your canopy, right? You typically start with a big canopy. And then as you get better, you get smaller and smaller ones just because they're more maneuverable and they're faster, right? So if you're coming in faster, you can control it better than like a student that's got a big slow one. Mm -hmm. So you downsize with things like it's basically like passing this hand-me-down gear. So you could jump a canopy. Let's say it's got your business name on it, right? Like underneath the canopy you got your business logo there and then maybe you downsize because you're getting better right and so you jump with it for a few months and then you downsize so you sell it to somebody else he lives in i don't know florida or some other part of the country now they're jumping and every time they do that whenever you open your canopy you're looking up and you have your canopy your camera on your head so if you're looking up and every time you got a video going and you're looking at your logo every time but if you get enough of a following too then you start getting that brand repetition to where you're constantly displaying your own logo or whoever's company you bought, I guess, you'd be constantly repping this logo all the time. So it's, I guess, so one of these games where it's like, you could post your logo on the bottom of your canopy and then sell it to somebody who has like a big following or some sort of thing that they do and use that as like a marketing opportunity. So interesting. I've, I've thought about that, trying to build enough of a following to where you can start paying to have people buy you new canopies or buy you new gear or whatever and you just rep their brands and stuff all the time but I started to see you do all those video edits and you put them they're really cool like clean yeah. edits have you gotten people like a lot of people's response and reaching out because i know i've reached out to you about seeing your videos and stuff but i imagine yeah. that they get a good amount of attention but and a lot of people do say so like in the gym and stuff i was just working out with a lady this morning she's you're not jumping out of planes like as often anymore it's winter so it's a little colder <laughs> yeah not as favorable but it is funny because yeah you're right a a lot of people do say that and i think it, it lends more credence to i'm even debating buying a dropping like three grand and getting a canopy have an f45 buy a canopy that has the logo underneath it so when i jump and open and i look up on every one of my videos i'm going to be playing a clip that shows the logo in it yeah so you tie the two together right yeah Kind of so is that just how your brain works then? Yeah. I wouldn't think, oh, skydiving, marketing opportunity. Yeah. You, like, how did you get into business? Have you always had a business mind? What is it that makes you think that way? I want to know, like, how you tick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got branched off there quite a bit. Yeah, let's back up. And I was going to say, it's always, I think that if something's costing you money, typically there's a way to monetize it, right? Because you're spending your money. You're giving, 
the economy is the fluid flow of cash or transactions. So if you're spending your money on somebody, something that somebody else is providing you, then typically that same service or something similar can be provided somewhere else. Real estate's a perfect example, right? You buy the house because you want to live in it. Somebody else probably wants to live in it too. So you could rent it out. So it's now you're not paying for the thing you have. And I think once you learn how to unlock that cool little snippet, you see it everywhere. It's one of those things where it's like, you just start seeing opportunity everywhere you look. So it's I'm buying the car. How can I make money with my car? But yeah. you have these opportunities everywhere you look. It's just how can I monetize it and what value can I provide to somebody? I think it's that Rich Dad Poor Dad was one of the books that I think I took a lot away from when he says it's like, how do you see the world? Are you looking at assets or liabilities? The poor buy commodities to where they're usable and you get rid of them. The middle class typically is going to buy your liabilities, like your cars and your boats and stuff like that. That are cool to have and they're somewhat tangible, right? You can resale them, but they're always going to be resold at a lower value. And then your wealthy class, right? Your rich or wealthy class are the people that are just buying assets all the time. And then when they do buy a liability, they're using the positive cash flow. So what's left over from the income on that asset, they're using that to buy their liabilities. So it's yeah. it's all about the mindset change. Yeah, we're turning that liability into an asset by finding a way to make it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah which is something that I always think about in my business and my personal life. I've always wanted a fan, fan life kind of thing. And I'm like, I'd probably use it maybe a month or two out of the year. And I'm like, I'm not going to drop whatever 80K on a van that's just going to sit in my driveway. So I'm like, what if I can rent it out? And then I yeah. started spiraling and now it's a business idea. And I'm like, shit, let's do it. Yeah. We, we had a buddy of mine that does a lot of like content marketing and stuff. He has something similar where he knows there's a business out in California, which is where he lives. And these guys just make interiors for these vans and they just, they buy the ship from Ikea, they install it, they put it all together and they make it sweet. And then they sell the van as a complete product for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's huh? And they're willing to walk away from the business too. So it's okay. So now is the business worth and you start underwriting businesses and that's a whole new world too. That's where I'm at in my growth track is now I'm at the point where I'm underwriting businesses and learning how to acquire businesses. Instead of just looking at like residential real estate or simple mom and pop places, it's more of the underwriting of business is a like amazing world to where you could essentially get something for no cash. And as long as you have the knowledge of being able to turn it around and what do I need to do next, you can make a lot of money. Do you need management skills to do that? Or is it a different knowledge set you think running a business? I think it's a, it's like a direction. So if you don't have to know maybe how to, because you can hire managers, right? So F45 is a perfect example. I don't know anything about the gym space. All I know is leadership structures, organization, and like asset versus liability, like profitability, right? So I know how to account for a business, what, like how to underwrite it. What am I looking at on a balance sheet? What am I looking at? Like on assets versus liabilities types transactions. Like I know what I'm looking for in that regard. And then the running of the actual day-to-day operations and stuff, I don't really have a great sense of that. Like what he goes into a gym, I'm just a gym member. I go, I'm a client, but I really don't know kettlebell form, squat techniques. Like I don't know it enough to be like, I'm a professional at this and I should be teaching you. I know it enough just by being a guy that goes to the gym, right? So I have a manager who's really good at that and he's in charge of that stuff. He trains the trainers, he coaches the people, he works with the clients, right? If you have somebody that can run that, it's really just understanding like, what are the metrics? What are the different components that you need to understand? You need to understand day-to-day operations, you need to understand the accounting piece, and then you need to understand like 
the cash flow. What's your bottom line? How do you account the income versus the liabilities or the expenses? How do you have kind of like what your monthly net is? If you're not making it, what do you need to do? Do you have to fire people? Do you have to start dropping types of like subscriptions and programs and stuff? There's a whole, there's so much you could get into with it. It's just, it's exciting. Yeah, I feel like that's like the weeds. And so let me backtrack a little bit. You are here where you're underwriting businesses yeah. and you're looking at deals. You're looking at more cash flow for yourself. I'm over here. I haven't even got my first real estate, residential <laughs> real estate property. So I'm like newbie of the noobs. <laughs> yeah. So let's just go back let's and about you know, that. chat about where you came from. What got you to this point where you're at right now? Okay. So first investment ever. Yeah. yeah. Quick background, I guess. I'll give you the 30,000 foot, like quick five minute overview. Yeah. I went to Michigan State University. That's where, that's my alma mater. Um, Went to Michigan State University. I did the ROTC program there. I commissioned as a second lieutenant in the army back in 2013 is when I did that. And then my first place to go for training was in Georgia. So I went down to Georgia, went to ranger school, airborne school, did all the fun stuff. And then from there, I got my first duty assignment, which was Fort Bragg, North Carolina with the 82nd Airborne. So I did, it was like three years there, did one deployment out of there. And then I came back down to Georgia, did the next level of schooling, which is where you're in charge of like more people, right? So captain's career course. And then I got assigned to Colorado Springs at Fort Carson for my second duty assignment. And that takes me right around to seven, eight years in the army. So at eight and a half years is eight, it was eight years, eight months is when I actually got out. But I started the real estate as soon as I moved out to Colorado. So my first thing was, as I moved out to Colorado, I was going through a nasty divorce and stuff at the time. I guess it wasn't nasty, but it was an affair. So it was kind of rough. So I was in a weird spot. Emotionally nasty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was emotionally in a weird spot. Really rough time in my life. Wouldn't change it for the world because it got me to where I'm at. But, but yeah, I went through all this stuff and I basically had all of the things you get from a marriage. So the washer, the dryer, the couch, the, all the furniture, the furnishings, everything you have, right? I didn't want any of that in my life anymore. So I literally got a lease with some guys up in the mountains in Manitou, moved in with them. So I had some people around me, right? So I wasn't just living alone, dealing with my thoughts that were crazy at the time. Moved in with some guys, had some stuff to do, but I had all this furniture that they didn't need. So I bought a house downtown and I furnished it with all my stuff for my marriage. And my idea was, is that house was going to provide a place for my family and friends to come out and visit Colorado. And they could use that to stay when they did. After about a month of nobody coming to visit or planning to visit, I was like, okay, I got to do something because this is a mortgage payment and it's a, a nice chunk of change that's leaving my pocket every month and I'm paying rent. So I started this thing called Airbnb. I heard some guys talk about it. So I gave it a shot and made a little listing, went through with my phone, took the pictures of the rooms and stuff, posted some little as best as I could make listing. And uh, yeah, I, I started at 60 bucks a night, I think, which is like dirt cheap now, but I remember making my first booking was like $230, I think something like that, just a couple of days. And I was like, whoa, that was easy. That was so cool. And then you get another one. And I remember I was at the, I was at the range one day at work. We were at the range and I was up in the tower. So like at the range, you have a tower where kind of like the admin or the staff sit, right. And then you have the people that are actually firing and I wasn't firing at the time. So I was up in the tower with some of the other leadership and I just remember sitting there and I was getting these notifications. I have two or three come in within a five minute span of just bookings, right? So the bookings. And I'd show this buddy next to me, like, here, check us out. Look at this. I just made $300. And he's oh, that's pretty cool. And then five minutes, not even five minutes later, I came back. I was like, yeah, I just made 800 bucks. Look at this, 800. He's like, 
what the heck are you doing? What in the hell is this guy doing? And then I had another one come through. It was my first thousand dollar booking, something over a thousand dollars. And I was like, so pumped. I was like, fuck yeah. I was like, yeah, dude, that's awesome. Everybody in the tower was like, this guy's selling drugs. You know, what the heck? It was a really cool experience. It was a lot of fun. It was a very eye-opening for me to see how easy it was once you own the real estate, how easy it is to really find somebody else and start making money with it. Real estate is probably one of the most usable commodities or one of the most usable things that you can possibly purchase with your money. And the fact that I could leverage it, I used my VA loan at the time, so I didn't put any money down. I did put a bunch of money into a small renovation where I added like a bathroom and changed some bedrooms and stuff. But other than that, I was able to get it with zero cash. I just paid the closing fees and stuff. And that really set me up for success starting off. But yeah, I started making money right away. And I was like, this is incredible. So before you knew it, I was paying the mortgage. Then I was paying the mortgage and utilities. Then I was paying the mortgage utilities, car payment. And then I was paying mortgage utilities, car payment, and my rent. So when I covered all of my financial bases at that point, I that's when I started getting in terms of this could be a business because other people started to see the success I was having. The guys in the tower that day, two of them actually approached me about managing properties that they have because we had a deployment coming up and they're like, hey, do you think that I could do the same thing? I was like, yeah, you can use my, this is how it started. I was like, you can use my cleaners and you can use my maintenance guy. And now they were like, yeah, sweet. So like, how much do you charge? Oh, I can charge for this. That's right. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So I, like, I was learning this whole thing. And then co- that's co-host. That's how co-host was. And that's, yeah, exactly. that's how it started. I did try working with another company before I deployed just because I didn't trust myself. Yeah. So I brought another company on, used them for a couple of weeks and I had a bunch of stuff stolen and they didn't catch any of it. And it was really rough. So I was like, yeah, I'm just going to do this myself. Yeah, so, so I'll show people that whoever's listening to this, co-host is your Airbnb property management company that you started yourself, that you operate. How many doors do you operate now on Airbnb? So we were up to 28 doors. So we had 28 different units, I should say clients. And then some of the clients yeah. had multiple properties, right? So yeah, that was the company I started, Airbnb property management, just by doing that, literally managing all you do. So to run an Airbnb property, Airbnb property management company, very similar to a long-term but there's a lot of changes, right? Think of a hotel. You have your turnover team, then you have your maintenance team, and then you have your bookings team. So some people that deal with the guests, people that clean for the guests, and then people that will talk to your clients and fix the different things and stuff that are going on with the home. So it's kind of like the three different pillars of what you need to do to run it. It's really simple. It's not that hard. It once you find a cleaning lady that does it for you, you can say, hey, I'll take on your property and we have cleaning and we have maintenance and we have... We'll take care of the bookings and the guests and stuff. And that's all you really need. And then somebody mm-hmm. can be totally hands off for the owner because the owner's got nothing to worry about since you're doing the, everything, every aspect of what it would take to maintain the house. That's so, awesome. Yeah, it's very simple. It's and not it, it sounds like I feel like your background in the military helps you with that structuring of like just simplifying it. And it is. That's all it is. Turnover, maintenance, bookings, team. You do your job. You do your job. You do your job. <laughs> yeah. And then you just got to put out the fires. Obviously, it gets a little bit more complicated than that. But one thing I always do to dial myself back in is, dude, this is so easy. This is this is easy stuff. Like this should not be difficult. (laughs) You just got to remind yourself of that sometimes. But yeah, that's all it is. It's really just those three different things. And if you can figure that out, you're you got a little business to run. And it doesn't cost you anything. That doesn't cost you anything to start a business like that. You don't even have to own the house, really. I just did for my first one. But yeah, there's all sorts of things people doing, like the arbitrage, like Airbnb arbitrage, where they sign the lease. And then yeah, I've been trying. I've been people try to sell me on that all the time, and I'm like. 
I'm in a position where I can buy a house and I just want to operate the Airbnb and have the business for me. But I understand the benefit of doing an arbitrage is you get this crazy cash flow and you can eliminate some of your monthly liabilities by getting the cash flow, which is great because you leverage a lease. But I agree with your statement of the rich buy assets and to buy into arbitrage. Like I would rather have an asset under my belt than a liability, which is a lease agreement, a commercial lease agreement for some crazy amount of money that I don't have to operate. It's the same kind of thing. You're just at the whim of the lease at that point. If you actually have the asset and control that asset, then nothing's ever going to really happen unless regulations change. That landlord could choose to just terminate it at the end of it. You don't have a opportunity to really sell off that business, in my opinion, just because it's at the whim of the landlords more so than operating that business itself. Yeah. And some people may argue you're still at the whim of a mortgage and all this other, but (laughs) like you said, it's the difference of ownership, ownership versus renting. And if you're renting, you're at someone else's call and they could change that at any time. They could cancel that. They could decide to sell the home. Yeah. The tough thing too, and this is why I stayed away from that arbitrage model is you got to furnish the house. So not only are you locked into a long-term lease that you have to pay regardless of the season, if you're making money or not, but you got to furnish the home and that's going to take anywhere from eight to 10,000 on a basic house. So there's a pretty hefty upfront cost. So why not have somebody else pay that upfront cost? You just take a portion of the proceeds and then you can run the teams and stuff internally. Yeah, You're mitigating every aspect of everything and you still just get profit on the back. Yeah. And you've still got the clientele and that business is a property management business, which you could always sell on the back end, which is what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what I did. I took the company to a point to where it grew. It grew to the point where I was comfortable, I think, walking away and just sitting back and taking a look at things. And you know what? I want to focus on, I want to focus on the gyms and I want to focus on my own real estate. I think that's going to be a more profitable path and way simpler. My life now looking at it, I'm like, okay, life is way simpler now. It's nice because I can focus on the things that matter. Whereas before it, you feel like you're focusing on a lot of, a lot of the client stuff that some minutia. Yeah. So it's just, it's a different focus. I wanted to go in a different direction. It got big enough to where I got a portfolio that somebody wanted to buy. And I was able to get my experience in selling my first company, which is definitely bittersweet. But but at the same time, everything's a learning opportunity. You get to figure out what you did right, what you did wrong, and how you can improve that as you move on to the next thing. So it's a it's a very beneficial process to go through just like with real estate, buying and selling real estate. It'd be the same thing with a business learning how to buy and sell a business. Cause you learn everything about it, like underwriting and figuring out if it's a good deal and that helps you grow the business, right? If you know how to underwrite a real estate deal that helps you do the right things when you're renovating a project. Cause you're like, when I sold this, they didn't like that. But when I bought the house, I was looking for the kitchen and the bathroom and the upgrades and the furniture and the, or the furnishings and how nice the home was. And if the utilities were in good shape and all this stuff. So then when you go into the renovation project, you know what to focus your money on because you were doing the same thing. So it really helps to push up in both seats, I think. And once you do that, it's, it really opens your eyes to a lot of opportunity that's out there, like a wild amount, right? So. Yeah. So as of now, yeah. So you sold off that property management business and then you started up the F45 gyms, correct? Yeah. So it happened. Looking back now, and if I were to explain my life in 10 years, it would be a simultaneous thing. In reality, there was, there was a few months in a gap where I purchased the studios. I was approached about this, the sale of the studios, like in a December 
And then I didn't close on the deal until March. And then I didn't sell the property management company until like June. So there, there was a gap there where I was running everything all at the same time. But if I were to go 10 years down the road and explain it, it was a simultaneous. I dropped the property management company and picked up the gyms. And yeah, that's crazy because it's, that's when I met you. It was like right when I think you were approached with the F45 deal. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I think Seven had used us and we were talking a little bit of lending things. And then you just continued to reach out to me about questions that you had and how do you get this deal done and what can we, what kind of financing can we do? And I loved it, dude. I love how you're like, okay, like this and this. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. What about this and this? And it's just good to be able to have a person that like, you don't take no as an answer. You figure out how to make the solution work. And I think that is like another aspect of developing an investor slash business mindset is there is a solution. It's just if you're willing to do the work and have the conversation to resolve that that potential problem, because there's always a solution. Yeah. I mean, it's old saying, don't ask, can I do this? It's how can I do this? Flipping that, there's always a way or how can I, how do I afford this? Not can I afford it? It's just rethinking that. Yeah, I don't know if it's Ilette or Bradley. It might be Bradley, but he says it's basically like the absence of information is what you're looking for. So if you don't know how to do something where it seems like you can't, there's something that you just don't know that you have to learn before you can do that. Man, if I knew what I knew today and some of my past like deals that didn't work out, I mean, there's no way I wouldn't have been able to close on those deals. Yeah, You just, you learn new things, you meet new people, they teach you stuff. And then you're like, Oh, this is cool. Like we were talking, Alex, not to get too like into the weeds, but we were talking about DSCR, which is your debt service coverage ratio loans. And the fact that kind of operates the same way a business does to where they don't really look at like how much you can support the loan. Look Mm -hmm. at more, can the property support the loan? Can the income that's going to be produced from the four, 10, however many units you have on the property, can that support what the payments are going to be? And if it can, then you get the loan. Right. So it's, I never knew that product existed, but now yeah. it's in my pocket because I do, because we learned and we talked about it and we've gone through it. And yeah, you, it takes you out of the equation. You don't qualify as an individual. How much income do I earn? Can I cover the cash flow and the mortgage right. on the payment? The more the house itself can cover and it's an awesome product. And then we also got into the discussion, which I still need to get you an answer on this though. <laughs> where's the DSCR for businesses? If you're underwriting right. a business and you know that you've underwritten it and it's gonna be a cash flowing business, you get an initial business loan for some amount that is gonna be like the startup costs or whatever. I'm you correct me if I'm saying the business underwriting terms incorrectly, because again, I'm a newbie, but you see the cash flow on the business. Is there a loan that gets you started up? Like, as long as you have that correct proposal, is there a way to underwrite that with a lender, a commercial lender? And that's like the exciting thing is because there are investors and private money out there that if you present to them and you negotiate with them, you really just have a conversation of this is how it's going to work. This is how I know I'm going to get it done. They'll come back to you and they'll be like, we need this evidence, this documentation. Okay. At least I know, okay, I can do this now. It's just a matter of how can I get those documents to show you that this business is going to be successful. Exactly. Exactly. It. You just got to, you just got to convince somebody is really what it comes down to. And when you're talking to like banks and stuff, that's the coolest thing about businesses is all you're doing to get a business loan. I'm not kidding. This is how a business banker, I've learned how to underwrite these. (laughs) 
this is how they do it. They take your assets. So they take the income that the business is making minus how much it's ex expenses and they put it on a sheet. The sheet's called a profit and loss statement. You have a profit and loss statement for your business. You can get a loan and a loan can buy you another business. It can buy you a building. It can buy you the next franchise. It can buy out another business. It can sell your business. Like I could, let's just say I had a business that was making $10,000 a month. What they'll do is they'll go back and they'll say, okay, I want to see 12 months of this business. And let's say it's making $10,000 every month. Or maybe it's 30, 20 of expenses, whatever ends up on average. Yeah. On average. Yeah. 10,000. They'll look at that. And this one bank, this one lender will lend four and a half times, whatever your annual EBITDA, which is basically the mm -hmm. same. We'll just call it a hundred thousand dollars. They'll lend four and a half times. So that means I could sell my business for four and a half times what I'm making right now. So I could go to anybody and say, Hey, I'm going to sell it to you for bro. Let's say you're making 120, right? This is where it gets wild. Let's say yeah. making $120,000 a year, right? I could go to somebody and say, hey, I'll sell it to you for 350,000. Here's a lender that will give you 450,000 or 480,000 for the business. So you can buy this. I'm showing you right now, you can buy it and you're gonna make money right off the bat. You're gonna be able to service the loan that they're gonna provide you, and you'll get the loan to be able to close on it. Yep. <laughs> it's wild. So then it, got, it gets into a little bit of further question. Okay, so if you're buying a business that maybe isn't doing well or whatever, how do you get it to the point to where you can sell it like that? All you're trying to do is increase your income and lower your expenses so that you have a positive number for enough months in a row that you can show that to a bank. Like, how do you do that? Okay, let's get more members in the door. Let's sell more product. We can increase marketing. We can do ad spend. We can start promotional events. We can do a new product line or something. And then build relationships. You, I love the, that's the part about my business that I love is building relationships with other people that are going to help promote your business. You start getting referrals like, hey, I know that Josh owns this gym. He's a great guy. If you want to kick ass workout, go to F45. And right. people do it because you people and you've built these relationships and trust the people that are telling yep. you to do something. And that's really what it boils down to for me, in my mind, at least I'm at this point in my, my, my head and my business where it's about building a relationship and that's, what's going to build your business. Not yes, doing the marketing and pushing it out to people. But at the end of the day, a business is simple. You build relationships with good people. You surround yourself with good people and it works out. That's what I've been finding in my personal yeah, At the end life. of the day, it's all about your reputation. That's yeah. what it boils yep. down to. And if you got that, then you're good. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's so everything with, I think the business space and it's all ties into real estate and everything across the board, but it's just very interesting, right? Cause you talk about, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. All of a sudden you're talking about, Hey, I've got a lender that will lend four and a half times what I'm pulling in every year. I can show this over the course of 12 months. Now I can sell a product for 400, a million, 2 million, whatever, right? Whatever you're producing four and a half times that. Dude, this gets so crazy so quick because you're because it's not that hard. This is really not that difficult. I told yeah. you how I started a property management company, and that property management company could be making anywhere from thirty to forty thousand dollars a month. I, I you time that out over twelve months, you put a four and a half times on that, and then that comes out to an insane number. It's just it, it, you make millions of dollars very quickly. That yeah. is one million, almost one point five million. Okay, one and a half. <laughs> And Just you can do that in man. 12 months. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, with barely any start. Yeah, almost none for startup costs, nothing. All you've got to do is just find those team members, put them in place, and then just, that's it. <laughs> Isn't it wild? Like, you want to make a million and a half dollars? 12 months? 
I'm telling you, this is, there's, there's so many questions that I have in my head that I'm like, <laughs> I don't I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because right now we're like doing like the hundred yeah. foot overview and it's a super fun conversation we're having with you. So definitely yeah. would love to have you come back and keep this going. And Absolutely. if you're interested, yeah. this is super fun, but yeah. Yeah, so anyway, where... go, go ahead. Ben. All right. Yeah. So where are we sitting right now? So we learned, yeah, you sold off that, that property management business. You start up the 45 gyms and you still continued your real estate endeavors. So where is your kind of full portfolio versus the franchises that you've got right now? Where are we sitting from today? And so, add on to that, where do you see yourself going? Perfect. Uh, so <laughs> the whole focus is I read this book, Dan Locke, and it's all about how to get to moving everything almost into passive income, right? So it's moving everything you have. There's three different types of income. I categorize one of them into two, but three different types of income. There's your earned income where you're trading your time for money. So your earned income, leveraged income, and passive income. Your earned income is going to work, working in nine to five. You're trading your time for your employers going to pay you and they're going to get money. You're going to get your money. And that's your earned income. You're directly trading your time for the earned income. Leveraged income is where the employer is paying you to work for them. So they're leveraging their money for other people's time. That's how you buy time is you pay for other people to give you their time so they can do the work. So you're leveraging. Leveraged income is typically where you can make the most. That's where businesses and stuff like that come into play because you can leverage other people to do this work for you as long as you train them and they know what to do and all this other stuff. But you can leverage anything you have in terms of money to make mass amounts. So it's a multiple type of scale. For your earned income or your earned income is a one-to-one -one. your leveraged income is like a multiple does that make sense mm -hmm. and then you have your passive income and i think there's kind of two sides to the passive income but we all generally know what passive income is it's the money that comes in while you sleep right there's the why i say there's two sides to that i think there's a variable and there's a fixed side the simplest way i could put that is your variable is going to be like your airbnb to where it can constantly change every month right it's never the same Whereas your fix is like having a long-term tenant in there where they're paying the same amount every single month. So there's two sides to that, but it's basically moving across that scale from your earned income and moving everything either into leveraged or passive income. And generally the more passive income, you get to a point where you don't need any earned income and you can take your passive income and move it into leverage. All right. Now tie it back to yourself and your endeavor. So what I'm focusing on doing is by being in the military, that was very much earned income. I was going to work, deploying all that stuff, trading my time for money. And I started buying real estate, create a little bit of passive income, a little bit more passive income. And then I started the business. So I started leveraging cleaners and maintenance people and the software and stuff that I have. I started leveraging those types of things to start building a business, which then I was able to sell, brought into the, another business, which is the F45 franchise locations. So I brought into those and now I'm growing those to continue to move up and expand that. So it's all about this growth process, right? What I do is I take everything that I make from business or any sort of personal work that I do, my earned time, I'll take that and I'll try to shovel it off into real estate because my real estate is kind of like the retirement, right? That's the way I see it. It's, your long-term wealth is going to be grown through the real estate portfolio. Businesses generally take a very active role. Not always though. And I'm actually very fortunate that the team I have in business, I'm allowed to be very passive and I really am just like a member in the gym and I like it that way. I just show up, I do my workout. They even, they'll even coach me if I'm slacking or my back sagging. 
or something. Like, I went to that one workout. They kicked my ass, and they yeah. totally do. They give you shit and everything. I'm like, these are your employees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. And it's. I think it's a great dynamic. When you have the owner come in and willing to be corrected and a part of the team and stuff, I think it makes you more human, and it totally. just makes you more relatable, which – if we look at where the business was to where it is now, before I came over, the average tenure time for a, a trainer in the business was three months. Every three months, somebody was leaving and we'd have to find replacements. Whereas now, we haven't had anyone leave in eight months. So it's it's an incredible environment. I've only owned it eight months, so I'm riding that train as long as I can. But it's just, it's a different environment. And I hope a lot of that has to do with me, but I think there's a structure and when things are good, when you know what you're going to get paid, when you know that the owner is hungry and only trying to grow, that you're going to stick around because you want to be on that. You want to be a part of that party. So Definitely. yeah, my focus is always with what I've learned in business and how I know how to underwrite deals and stuff. Now I've been approached about a couple different studios trying to sell off. And one, I turned down completely one I am highly considering. It's not doing super hot, but I'm considering it because it's a pretty substantial part of my market share. So you like the gym space. You're in that for the next, the foreseeable future. It sounds like. I don't see an exit yet. I'll put it that way. I don't see an exit. I see an expansion of at least a couple more locations. I very easily see myself being the the franchise owner for Colorado Springs in the next two years, owning locations and having a majority, if not all of them. So that's that, that was one of our next questions. What are your goals? Yeah. And it was specifically for 2023, but I love that goal and better. You want to be franchise owner of Colorado Springs. Like that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And I see that being very, very possible. So I, it, we may beat that timeline. We just, a, just a few days ago, we were talking about shit, our five-year plan, maybe in a year. It's just about, how it goes, right? Yeah. You got, sometimes it speeds up sometimes. So yeah, I've got to pull back a little bit, but you dream big and hopefully achieve it way earlier than you think you would. Yep. And it's all about just understanding and knowing what you're capable of. And I know you always get stressed out about finances and money. And then I was just telling you guys about another thing that we were doing before we started today. Mm -hmm. Just money, right? So it's all about understanding what you're capable of and how you can handle it. And I think I've built up enough of a tolerance, right? It's all about building tolerance. When you start spending big, now spending small isn't as big of a stress. And you start getting used to the big spending because now you're spending big, you're making big, and it's all levels up. I've built enough of a tolerance to where I can mentally handle the stress that's going to come with pushing myself to get to that, like, that two-year mark to where we own all or most, if not all of the studios in the Springs to be able to do that. You just get used to it. You start pushing yourself. You, if you're not living life on the edge, man, you ain't living. That's yeah. true. With so every room, there is a reward. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So just because hey, I'm big in the real estate space. So think about that and think about the gyms and the franchises and everything like that. Have you ever thought about combining the two? And I'm guessing that right now, those locations, you probably have a lease on a spot that you're in. Right. Yeah. So have you ever thought about switching that and purchasing the real estate, putting your business in there, paying your business or paying the rent to your actual real estate portfolio, and then if you ever did choose to exit out of the gym space, you'd still own that real estate where they are located in. And you can yeah. keep that revolving and fully passive with a triple net lease or whatever you want to do at that point. Right, exactly. Right. Yes. So there is, if you think about like the the model McDonald's has, or even Chick-fil-A follows the same thing where they own the real estate, then they sign a franchisee or somebody to, to run the business model on that real estate. That's obviously, that's going to be like, 
substantially better. And that's where it starts getting into. Now you got to start looking at commercial deals. You're not doing residential stuff anymore. Now you're looking at commercial buildings. You're starting to talk to commercial brokers, talk to commercial lenders, right? So learning the commercial loan space and stuff, which is where when I got excited earlier about all the stuff <laughs> that I've learned, it's because of this, right? It's because I've been kind of shifting my focus a little bit more into the commercial retail space because now I'm looking at mixed use buildings. I'm looking at spaces downtown. I'm looking at converting major square footage projects into commercial use. So you're just, you're learning about all the different things that are important. And like I said earlier, it's all about if you don't know what you don't know, you have to learn something in order to be able to achieve it. So it's not, it's not possible. It very is, it very much is possible. You just got to learn something. Yeah. For me, the biggest part of that is how do you underwrite a deal? How do you convince a lender to take this project on or to give you the money that you need to acquire the building and then put your business in it? And everything in the commercial world comes down to like pro formas, right? Yes. As soon as you start trying to put in Airbnbs and get new things, the DSCR loan, right? Like any of that stuff is going to come off of projections. Projections or if you have leases in place, proven things that you've done, that that also works. So really to get a commercial deal is I'm learning this right now, but it's really the same thing. I've built pro forma. I've analyzed. Here's what I'm expecting. Here's the high end. Here's the low end. Here's what we think is actually going to happen. Here's what my gym is doing. Gym one, gym two, gym three. Here's what these guys are doing. Here's the average. So I think this is going to hit the average, if not, maybe be a little bit better than that, but we'll start there. And then we can underwrite that. And you show that to a bank, say, Hey, I'm running all these gyms. This is what they're doing. This is going to sign the lease on this floor. And then this floor is going to be this because I have this Airbnb business maybe, and it's going to sign the lease here. And then you can start showing proof of concept. I've done these things. This is what this is going to do in this building. And then it's really hard to argue with at that point when you're like, kind of makes sense. Yeah. And then you just got to figure out your purchase point and then convince the seller to agree and get it all on paper, go under contract. And then 120 days later, you could be closed on your commercial deal and (laughs) location. So it's, it is cool. I like it. And I definitely a hundred percent am going to move in that direction. And I'm learning all that stuff now. And if this guy would just agree to a price, <laughs> be under contract already. But this is that I mean, same property on Pike's Peak Ave yeah, or whatever. Yeah, that yeah. property looks awesome. So to give you a brief rundown, Ben, this first one that I'm really looking at, it's a three-story building. I want to put a studio, a new downtown location in the street level. And then floors two and three would be really nice, really high end downtown loft airbnbs okay so it'd just be a combination of the businesses i own in one building yeah Yeah. that's what i'm thinking of because yeah my business is moving in a direction where i might need office space at some point as well so i'm just thinking about the same thing i'm like why don't i just get a office location purchase the actual whether it's i don't know strip mall or actual office building or whatever Mm -hmm. plate myself in one of the units pay myself rent basically. And then the other two or other three or whatever units it's going to be in it, they're actually producing also a cash flowing property at that point. You know, yeah. It makes sense at that point to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. And all you would have to prove is you'd have to show what your business can afford to pay in rent. And then you'd have to show comps to what other, if you're going to rent other office space, let's just say that the floors above you are all going to be the same office space. Just show comps on what, office space is going for in that area and what people are paying for office space leases. And then you'd write that down, put it in a pro forma, say, this is how much money it's going to make. This is what I can afford to get for a mortgage. Yep. Yeah. 
It's that simple. That easy. That <laughs> easy. easy. You're gonna you're gonna leave here. We're all gonna buy a building. We're all gonna start a new business. I need yeah. to buy a house first, buddy. <laughs> we got you, Alex. <laughs> and then there's me. I'm like over here. I'm actually going. I have a couple of showings this afternoon. Nice. So I'm looking forward for to some. What? Fun weather for it. I know. I was like, great. Nobody else will be looking at these houses, just me. Yeah, I love the winter showings. They're always fun. We had talked then about doing like a quick four questions or something that we want to integrate into any guest episode, like all the other yeah. podcasts do. And I didn't come up with that list of quick four questions. So did not either. There, was there might be something we have to do on, on another episode. I will bring you back and be like, yeah. all right, we didn't ask you last time. This is what we're going to ask you this time. But I think one thing no we already answered all of these i feel like in in everything we talked about like passive income when did you sell your first business goals yeah i got one more which is like my last one okay so now since we do know that you've got this business space and you've also got this real estate space right now it, it where do you find yourself focusing on more heavily do you with like your earned income or whatever you're putting into them are you placing that and or yeah putting more of that into the real estate space currently, or are you investing more time and effort into those, the franchise businesses? How are you mixing your times there? Yeah, no, that's actually a sweet question. The way I see it is real estate's like your big plays, right? So you like make big jumps in real estate, but it's also because of that, it's like slow at the same time. Mm -hmm. It takes 120 days to close like a commercial deal. And that's like probably pretty average right? Yep. Your deals are probably longer, but think about how long that cycle is compared to residential. So real estate's rather slow, right? It's got big things, big moves happen, but it's a very slow process. Whereas like business is day to day. Just today I was in the gym, we were going through business talks. We were talking through, Hey, we brought in this much money for this challenge. What do we want to do with this? It's a daily thing. It's like I spend daily things on the business and then I'll turn and we make major decisions on real estate. So it's like the real estate might be a once a week kind of thing. Whereas the business is an everyday thing. Okay. You can just, you got to schedule your time out and stuff. But typically I'll do most of my calls and stuff on Monday and Tuesday. And then the rest of the week is just following up on everything and closing off doors. And as stuff comes on your plate, you solve it and then you get it off on somebody else's plate. So it's just handling everything business-wise day-to-day after that. But I focus probably mostly on the business. And then the big things happen real estate-wise every week, probably once or twice. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's a, an hour that flew by. Yeah, okay. That was it's such a pleasure to have you on, Josh. I'm glad that you agreed to do this, like super last minute. <laughs> Dude, it's super fun. I'm telling you, I think it's very exciting once you start learning how simple things are. As long as, oh, man, I don't know where I heard it, but they say how the biggest lie ever told is that it's not that simple. Oh, but it is. Like sometimes yeah. it is. Most of the time, nearly every time, like it is that simple. Like you might just be overthinking it or trying too hard or have somebody not willing to do it. And half of this stuff, I tell my girlfriend all the time, I'm like, hey, I got enough negative things going on in my head. I don't need you to add to it. I need you to just the side of me that knows it's going to work. Remind me of that. That's all you're here. That's all I need from you. Just remind me that I'm right. Because I'll do the negative talk. I don't need somebody else adding to it. And it's that negative talk of, dude, it's not this easy. You can't just do this. Because I'm sitting here underwriting these deals. And I'm like, okay, so it's income minus expenses. And then the money. And then the line, I'm like, it's not this easy. The bank's not going to buy this. I'm like, there's no way. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to send it to him and see. And then he's like, okay, yeah. So we can lend you 460000 It is that easy. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's just it's reminding yourself and getting rid of the people that are so negative all the time and just tell you it's not that easy. Oh, man, I don't know. I've learned something else. It really is that easy. It just takes a little bit of effort. You got to do the numbers yourself and you got to learn whatever you don't know. But it yeah. really is. Yeah. And it all just comes from repetition, I would say. Yeah. That's the same thing when I deal with new clients or something like that, new investors coming in. I'm showing them the numbers. They're like, there's no way this works. And I'm like, there, it is. And I've got just people who have done it before. Yep. So I know from their experience, I know from my own experience, everything that it does work. Yeah, it's it end up being that simple. You've just got to yep. trust the process and just go for it. There's nothing to it. Just remind yourself, Alex, when you're going to all these showings, you're that new home buyer that can talk yourself out and be like, oh, I can't afford it. I can't do That's it. what I've been doing. No, dude, that's what I've been doing. And I went and I saw my last property and it was absolutely perfect. It had every single checkbox that I need. I wanted it totally turnkey, totally flipped, separate entrance to the basement for Airbnb, had a two-car garage, no maintenance backyard. It was like at my purchase price, which is like $4.95. And I was hesitant. I didn't put an offer in because I was like, oh, I don't know. And I didn't really like super underwrite the house, but it was in a good area of town. Like I've underwritten so many houses in the areas that I'm looking at that I'll look on like Air DNA or whatever and be like, okay, these are the projections. If I'm even close to it, I don't care about cash flowing because I'm going to occupy the residence as well. And I'll yeah. do a house back. But if I can lower my monthly expense to less than a thousand dollars, that's fine with me. Somebody else is still paying my mortgage. And if it's not every single month that I do, that's okay. Like I know I can afford that. And on paper, I can afford way more of a mortgage than what I'm applying for. But I'm like, nope, my budget is this. I'm a lender. And like, I get <laughs> freaked out by the numbers and I scare myself. And after missing on that property, I was like, fuck, Alex, you need to yeah. do this. You need to pull the trigger. You see all your friends doing it. You hear these success stories. It's not that hard. It's really that it's simple. It's just a matter of being disciplined and putting these processes in. And yeah, getting an Airbnb is going to be probably hard for me to set it up for the first time, but other people have done it. Yeah. I'm not an idiot. Like I, I can figure it out. Yeah. I would tell you this, and this is what I tell like family and my little sister and anybody that's trying to buy the house for the first time, I'll challenge you. Go in today. You said you're going to go see a few showings and stuff later this afternoon. If you have two, three, whatever, put an offer in on one. Talk, get used to talking to the agent, understanding the terms of the contract, writing, like reading through the important parts, which is like, your, when's your earnest money due? What are the dates that inspection deadlines are? All those different things. Learn what's important, right? You're going to go through all this because it's your first time. You can be hyper-focused on it. Yeah. You're going to be super in tune with all this. Learn how to do it. Write an offer. Send the earnest money. Write the check. Send it in. And then start the process and just get used to it. You don't have to close on the house, right? You can get to the inspection. You can say, hey, I don't like this or this doesn't work for me. And you can terminate, right? So you can always get it out. You'll get your money back, all that stuff. But what's most likely going to happen is you're going to write an offer. The seller is probably going to sit there. They may deny it, whatever. But you're going to get used to You're going to get a rep under your belt, right? So when you do find, maybe you do come across a house you actually like and you actually care about then you're gonna be like, oh, I know exactly how this goes. Here's my offer. Let's get it. Let's get it written today. I'll sign that right away. Yeah, because yeah. you've done it already. You already get it. Oh, there's nothing to be afraid of. You can get out if you want because you've already done it. Yeah, totally. totally. And I mean, at the end of the day, especially with an owner occupied, like you just buying your own house, and just as you said, you're not looking for cash flow. You're not looking for the house to support itself. If it does, then fantastic. But at the end of the day, you know your numbers. You know what you are pre-approved for. You know what your budget is. You know everything. So at the end of the day worst case scenario that airbnb 
maybe underperforms or whatever, you're still just paying your own mortgage. That's right, right. better than paying somebody else's mortgage by paying rent. Right. You know, no, that's, that's something that I have to remind my clients of all the time. And there's always backup strategies. Like even if the Airbnb doesn't launch and it doesn't go well, yeah. there's other solutions, long-term rentals. I get some roommates in there and yeah, maybe I have to cover a month or two on my own. That's going to suck. That's going to put me out seven, eight grand. But as long as I'm looking at these properties and knowing that you know, everything's updated, like I shouldn't have any issues, like... I'll go through an inspection if there's problems and yeah, I terminate because I don't want to, I don't have the capital to fund a total home renovation. That's why I'm looking at turnkey properties is I'm like, I need it to be ready to go. And if it's turnkey, getting somebody to rent from me, I don't think that's that hard. It's just a matter of posting in Facebook groups and talking to as many people as you can because people want to rent, especially in Denver. Yeah, it's not tough. <laughs> There's a thing my buddy and I, we always remind ourselves he's doing the same stuff. So we always, I was just looking at a house with him before we had this call, before we did the podcast episode. I was just out with him at another property. But one thing we always remind each other of is, are you ever not going to be able to make the payment? Do you stress right now about making your current mortgage payments? Well, and we'll say that, right? If we're getting in a big deal, like I was doing this big commercial building and I'm like, man, what if it doesn't work or with this? And I'm doing that negative self-talk kind of thing and getting in my head. And he's, do you ever stress about making your current payments on your current mortgages? No, they all got income. He's, so why would this be any different? Oh, okay, that's fair. You, yeah. you, it's weird, but the thing I'm trying to convey is you get to this point to where you build this tolerance to where it's like, hey, if I have a $2,000 a month mortgage payment, if you have Airbnb or not, like you're going to pay it. You're going to find a way it's going to work out. You're stressing about it right now because you don't have that in your life and you're adding it to it, but you're also going to add the income and everything else that comes behind it. It's just going to be a part of your day, like your monthly routine, your daily right. routine. It's part right. of your life at that point. And you never, you don't even think about it. You're going to be three properties down the road and you'll be like, man, I remember when I was stressing about that new mortgage payment on that first one. And you're like, that's my smallest one now. All these <laughs> other three times the size, right? So it's yep. just put it all in perspective for yourself. Take a step back, look at it from big picture and be like, this is going to be easy. I appreciate the advice, guys. And I'm excited to go see these. And there's one that I'm like stoked on. It's a 5.3. That's listed at four ninety five, and oh, I know exactly the one that you're talking about. I just saw it this morning. <laughs> yeah, dude, my, I just saw it too. Text me what you make the offer at tonight. I think I'm gonna do five. I'm gonna go five thousand over. I'm gonna go five thousand with a ten thousand dollars seller concession, and with an escalation up to five oh five. I don't know how, what the traction is on it, but I'm gonna probably submit it. I'm gonna go check it out. I was looking, and I did the numbers on it already. I'm pretty stoked on that one. But there's a couple other properties I want to see and just get a feel for. So I'll let you know. I'll text it over to you. Yep. Tell me what the offer is when you make it. Let me know. Yeah, man. I'll be waiting for it. <laughs> cool. If we don't see it, then we'll come after you. Yeah. All right. It's been over an hour now. Yeah, I guess we'll technically it hasn't though because you were you're on a yeah. call like right before. Yeah, so I think we're just about right now. an hour now. <laughs> That's right. But Josh, thank you so much for taking the time with us. This has been super fun. Like always love your energy. Always love getting to pick your brain and hear yeah. what you're doing. It's been fun. No, it was amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. So where where can people find out more about you if they want to? So that. my my Instagram is the Josh Colnitis. So the Josh and then K O L N I T Y S is how you spell my last name. So you can find me there. As most people reach out to me and just send send a message, or you can see all the cool skydiving videos and stuff on there. But <laughs> that'd be the probably the easiest way for anyone to reach out and find me. Other than that, Colorado Springs, any one of the studios, I'm typically there six fifteen seven thirty. Alex shows up every now and then <laughs> so you can see us there. But yeah, that's, that's probably the easiest way to get in touch. And then if you ever have questions or anything, 
that's just shoot me a message and get on the phone or chat, help you out through whatever you need. Oh, awesome. Love it. Thank you so much. Hi, thank you for tuning into the Stealth Wealth Podcast. You can find out more information in the show notes as well as find our contact information. Please feel free to reach out to either Ben or myself and let us know what you want to hear on future episodes. As always, your continued support is much appreciated. So please leave us a review and hit that notification button to hear our next episode.